we're going to um, spend the next 30 minutes looking at a story that Jesus, two stories that Jesus told. And uh, it's part of our series that we've been looking at the parables and stories that Jesus told, stories that had meaning beyond just the story themselves. It was about a larger worldview, a larger God view in a sense. And uh, they, these are stories that you, we can use to reorient our lives in a sense, that Jesus didn't tell them to confuse people. He told them because the concepts or the ideas, these, this new way of looking at life was expansive and it was even larger than life. And so he would put these ideas into these stories that would have incredible meaning. Uh, so today we end this series, and this is going to be one of my favorite parables told by Jesus, and you'll see why soon. Uh, I'm calling this message, at least in your program, it's called Fungi and Weeds. But if I, could re, if I could redo the title, I thought of a better title after it went to print, and it would be Illegal Weed and Mushrooms. <laughs> and I was kicking myself from Thursday on that I didn't think of that on Tuesday when the title was due. Uh, but illegal weed and mushrooms. Uh, so Jesus spoke a lot, kind of some background that I talked about often because Jesus talked about it often, is that Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact, he said that over 100 times in his teachings, at least that's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so uh, kingdom language, though, for us in the 21st century can be difficult to understand. Uh, and like I said, I said this at the beginning of the series, I said this often uh, uh, in preaching, when Jesus spoke about the kingdom, when Jesus was speaking about the kingdom of heaven, he was not talking about a place, he was talking about an idea. He was vision casting in a sense. And so a way for us to understand it better, at least for me, I understand it better, instead of talking about it as kingdom language, because we don't have a king, we don't have a queen, we don't, we don't have monarchs in, in, in our world, or at least in, in our U.S. world, uh, the dream of God would be another great translation. So whenever you see in your Bible, it says kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. When Jesus is telling these stories, you could substitute the dream of God, that God has a dream for you that God has a dream for me, that God has a dream for this community, that God has a dream for the world, that God's dream is bigger and more expansive and greater than we could ever imagine, that when God was dreaming about you and dreaming about uh, our world, that the dream was bigger than we could imagine. It's kind of the way parents have dreams for their kids, right? You, you see your kid, and you have a dream for your kid, right? You have a dream and an expectation and, and what you think your kid could do. And I also believe that when God looks at our world currently, that God wasn't dreaming about the world that we're living in now. That God wasn't dreaming about prisons and God doesn't dream about kidnappings or wars or child abuse or racism or greed or poverty or exploitation. And that when we have broken relationships or when we bring harm to others or harm is done to us or we bring harm to ourselves, we are living the nightmare of God. We're not living the dream of God. It's not the world that God imagines. It's not the world that God dreams about for us. God never dreamed about the world that we're currently living in, that that's not this is not God's dream, but there is another dream that God has, a dream for you, a dream for me, a dream, a new worldview, a new God view, a new vision for life. So that's really important for us to have kind of as a concept as we're going to look at these stories that Jesus told. So the first one is up on the screen. It's from Matthew chapter 13, and Matthew records that 
that Jesus told this story, and he told it often. The story is, or the illustration is, that the kingdom of heaven, or the dream of God, the dream of God, Jesus said, is like a mustard seed in a, planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a mustard seed planted in a field. That God's dream for creation, God's dream for the world, is like a mustard seed planted in a field. Now, what we may not know, but if you've heard me preach this story before, I've shared this with you, that Jewish law in the first century made it illegal to plant a mustard seed in a garden. That mustard seeds were considered illegal because farmers knew that once you planted it there, it took root and it would grow and grow and overwhelm a garden. And then once it had overwhelmed the garden, it would then move on to your neighbor's gardens as well. If you let a mustard seed in, eventually you're left with only mustard. And so in the first century, mustard seeds were considered illegal to plant. They were an illegal weed. See, I see what I did there? When a mustard seed grows, it becomes a weed. It's a vine-like weed, and it will intertwine with the other plants around it. It will overwhelm anything it's near. It will continue to grow and continue to grow until it takes over a garden and spreads beyond into the neighbors. In the first century, before there were weed killers in a bottle or a bag, how do you think people hearing Jesus respond to this description of the kingdom? It had to, at the very least, get their attention. He says, the kingdom of God, or this vision I have, this God's dream for the world is like this illegal seed that you're not allowed to plant in your garden because it overwhelms. He says, that's what the kingdom is like. So Jesus uses this notorious and forbidden weed to describe God's kingdom. Then Matthew tells us that Jesus told another story as well. It's up on the screen. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So Jesus tells his followers that the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. The dream of God for creation. The dream of God for the world is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. You know what yeast is, right? Yeast is a fungus. It's a living microorganism. In a sense, it's a single-cell fungi. When you put yeast into dough or into flour, it eats the sugar that's in the dough, and it converts the sugar into carbon dioxide. Now, do you understand what I just said there? Let me explain that in another way. When, you, when we eat something, our bodies produce air, and air escapes. escapes. <laughs> just leave it right there, right? You see where I'm going? Okay. 
And you can call that whatever you want to call that. The yeast goes into the dough. It eats the sugar. Gas is created. And because of the gluten in the flour, those gas bubbles are captured. And they get big and fluffy. And then your bread becomes light and airy. There you go. It's what makes the dough expand, is the gas that is created by the fungus. Mmm. So when you're having your sandwich later today while watching football, know that that's how it was made. And when you put a little bit of yeast into the flour, what does it do? It spreads throughout so that it incorporates the whole. It spreads and takes over. As a matter of fact, the yeast changes the character of the whole thing that it's involved in. See, bread without yeast is a flat biscuit, right? It's hard, it's dry, it's unappetizing, it's uninteresting. It's like saltines without the salt. That's the only reason you eat saltines, right? It's for the salt. Imagine saltines without salt. That's, that's bread without yeast. But bread baked with yeast is soft and porous and spongy and tasty and mm, so good to eat. You're all going to have sandwiches this afternoon now. No matter what I say, that area is, you're still going to have sandwiches this afternoon. But yeast has this transforming power over the dough. The introduction of yeast transforms the dough into something else. And so with just a sentence or two, Jesus is able to uh, offer an entirely new way to think about life, about faith, and about how life and faith are intertwined and the impact that faith can have on the world. Now I want to pause there just for a second, and we're going to kind of jump ahead and then kind of go back to this and, and then end up back in the 21st century. But the church had this incredible explosive growth between 100 and 300 A.D. And during that time when the church was experiencing its most explosive growth, Christianity was basically illegal. But yet during that time, when Christianity was illegal, there was this incredible growth of Christians. One historian, or several, actually a few historians, one historian I was reading has suggested that the reason for that would be one thing. Plagues. Plagues caused the exponential growth of the church. There was no church buildings at the time because it was illegal. There were no church staff. I would be out of a job. There were only people who loved Jesus and lived life together in community. And yet the church was growing. And this historian suggests it's because of plagues. Not your normal church growth strategy. That wasn't the way we thought about having a campus in Mount Laurel. We didn't say if only there was a plague in Mount Laurel. That would really help us out. That never even came into as an idea. It wasn't even like a bad idea. Like we didn't, It would be beyond bad idea, right? But yet this historian suggests that that's what caused the expansive, explosive growth of the church between 100 and 300 A.D. And then he gave this illustration. In 251 A.D., there was a plague that was causing 5,000 people a day to die. 5,000 people per day were dying because of plague. And the, the way that Rome dealt with this is that they, when, when plague came into a city or a town, it was people left because they knew that plagues were contagious. 
And so the way to combat the plague was to get the healthy people out of the city. And when the healthy people were out of the city, those who were sick would die and the plague would die with them. And that was the plan to fight the plague. Except everyone left but Christians. The Christians stayed and chose to do ministry to the sick and the dying. And Dionysius, up on the screen, the bishop of Alexandria wrote this about the Christians. He said, they showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and, think, and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many, in nursing and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. And so the men and women living during this time period of rapid church growth were being mustard seed and yeast. They were living contrary to the current system. When everyone was leaving town because of a plague, they were rushing in. They were controversial because you weren't supposed to be in town during a plague. They were spreading like weeds. They were transforming the world around them. They were turning something dead into something alive. They knew they would catch something. They knew that by going into town, they would catch something and die, but they also hoped that those they cared for would catch something as well, that they would catch the love of Jesus. They chose to be people who were offering contagious life in a place filled with contagious death. And there was explosive growth like a weed or like yeast in a death. So what do you think Jesus is trying to teach us here? I, uh, as I was preparing this message, decided that this could be a series of its own. That I came up with five messages. I know if Randy were involved in the, in the planning, it would be six. Because Randy likes four or six. So the kingdom, here's some thoughts. The kingdom is subtle. It starts small, like a weed in a garden, but yet it spreads. It reaches out, and everything it grabs, it pulls in. It spreads one life to another, more and more people getting pulled into it. I think Jesus might be telling us that it's possible to live a life that spreads that it's possible to be generous with our lives so that we can have an impact on the world around us. I think that the kingdom, Jesus is telling us that the kingdom is meant to be viral, that it spreads like a disease. What happens when you hang out with someone who has the flu? Very good. A nurse told us that in case, all right? <laughs> Medical expert told us that when you get, the, when you hang out with someone who has the flu, all right, we're not, no commercial, uh, you get the flu. <laughs> because the kingdom, the dream of God, I would suggest to you, and this is what I want you to remember as you leave here, the kingdom of God should be sneezable. 
that it should be sneezable. That Jesus teaches that this is the way of the kingdom. That the dream God has for you is sneezeability. That, uh, uh, that we need to be viral. That we need to be transferring what we've received from one person to the next. And that it's the best way for it to grow. It's the way that God intends for it to grow. That a revolution of love spreads from one person to another person. From one individual to another individual. That the kingdom of God is about small beginnings with great growth. That the kingdom of God is, is secret and silent and steady. And all of a sudden it's overwhelmed and taking over. That the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of heaven, that the dream of God is that the church would have influence. The dream of God is that the church would be an influence in the community. That the kingdom would be sneezable. Small things that are of God's kingdom make a huge difference in the world. So here's my thought as I was reading about seeds and reading about yeast and coming up with gross things about gases and flus and sneezings. I was thinking about us and our Mount Laurel campus. And as you measure us against other churches, we're small. We are. And so are seeds. And we're small. And so is yeast. And small, according to Jesus, is ideal in God's kingdom economy. He said the kingdom of God is like a seed. And it is like yeast. And we are making subtle differences in this community. Now, one of the things that I recognize and have been having conversations with people. I was at a party last night uh, with some folks from our Voorhees campus who were celebrating an anniversary, and so I saw some Voorhees people who hadn't seen me, and they don't see me, and we don't run in the same circles anymore, and so they're asking, and they haven't been to this campus, and they're asking, how's it going? And I said, it's going well. It's exciting. It's fun. We're pioneers. We're out doing this thing. And they're like, but is it, is it getting bigger? Sure, yes and no. We have more people who are here than we did a year ago. We have more Mount Laurelites here than we did a year ago. But the expectation has always been that we would make a big splash. That was the expectation. Because churches are supposed to make big splashes, or at least that was what we assumed. I don't think the 21st century churches make big splashes anymore. But we're like a seed, yeast. We're an illegal weed or a gas-passing fungus. There you go. There's some encouragement for you. <laughs> we're creating deep roots within the community. We're transforming the world around us. And if we are going to be an influence, if we're going to pass this on with sneezeability, we need to be in close proximity. So you can't pass on sneezable love from far away. You've got to be nearby. Weeds to be effective and tangle with other plants and pull them in. Yeast to do its job needs to be in the dough. And so for influence to be 
influenceable. I'm really making up some good words today, aren't I? And sneezeability and proximity. That's why events like the Fall Festival on Saturday, Scott, thanks for announcing that, is so important. We, um, that was our first event we did before we even had a campus, was the Mount Laurel Fall Festival. And we went there, and during that time, uh, this will be our third one. So, it was, so we did our first one before we launched. So we went in September, we launched in January. And it was kind of fun because we would tell people, uh, we'd never been to it, and we would tell people, hey, we're excited about being here, and this is our thing, and where do you meet? And we went, we don't know yet. <laughs> that was kind of awkward. Uh, <laughs> we're still figuring this out. And then last year, we started uh, meeting with people, and uh, meeting people at the, at, at, the, uh, at, the camp, at the fall festival, and they said, well, where do you meet? And that was, if you remember, uh, we started in this building the first Sunday in October, so that was the third Sunday of September is the fall festival. So again, we had to say, uh, they're like, well, where do you meet? Well, this Sunday we're meeting in Harrington Middle School. Next Sunday, don't come that Sunday. Come the next Sunday when we're in our new place. It, it was a little confusing. This is the first time at the fall festival we can say we're meeting and we know where we're meeting. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about that. I don't know, I've got small wins, right, for me, right? Uh, but but here, here's, what I want, here's what I want you to know, is that this is what happens when people come up to the, to, to the booth, okay? When, and I'm going to talk about the people and why people come up to the booth. But people come up to the booth, and this is what they ask. They want to say that every time someone says, well, why should I go there? Now, if me, the paid professional, answers them, which I do, I act like I'm not the paid professional. You know, I say things like the preacher's outstanding. <laughs> he's, really, he's really handsome. Uh, yeah, funny, he's hysterical. You know, I say things like that uh, so they don't know it's me. Um, but they want to talk to people. They want to know why, why would you go? Why would you do this? I need you to go and sneeze on them. I need you to be that close. Did you know the percentage of regular church attendees dropped from 8.5% to less than 3% now? Across the country, Less than 3% of people attend church on a regular basis. It's hard to make a big splash in the 21st century, isn't it? See, it used to be you just put a sign out in new church and people show up. At the very least, they're curious. Now you put a new sign out, church, new church, and it doesn't matter because there's, it's just a sign. So here's some math I did. Don't hold me to this, because I'm sure it's not exactly accurate. There's going to be about 20,000 people at the Mount Laurel Fall Festival. That's their average. They say about 20,000. If 3% go to church, of the 20,000 people there, 600 attend worship. If 20,000 people will be attending, and let's say that 8.5% used to go to church, because it went from 8.5% to 3%, that means there are 1,700 people who will be there who used to go to church, know what church is, and now are not going to church. And they're the ones that are coming up and saying, why should I go to church? Because I used to go. Why should I go now? 
if 20,000 people will be at the fall festival, 97% do not go to church. 19,700 people. You can't pass on sneezeability, a sneezable love from far away. We have to be near people. And if people won't go to church, then the church must go to people. I think the church is changing. Not this, just this church. The church around the world is going to have to change. We have to get back to what the first century was doing. Uh, I'm not suggesting plagues. I don't think plagues are a good way to grow the church. But I am suggesting that the church needs to get outside the doors of its buildings because people are not coming in, so the church needs to go out. Because people are looking for a healthy community of people. And if they were to find a healthy community of people who happen to love Jesus, who are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus for the sake of others, they'll be interested in them. Your neighbors will not go to church because they receive an invite in the mail from me. They won't come. There's no reason. They'll get a postcard about gutter guards, and they're more likely to get gutter guards than they will come to church because I sent them a postcard. But they might go to church because of your influence in their lives. You are seed and yeast in your neighborhoods and in your workplaces and in your families. And we can be an influence in a world that's living a nightmare. A world that's filled with war and abuse and racism and greed and poverty. A world where broken relationships and harm to others is the norm. A world that God never dreamed of. And we can live a sneezable life, sneezable faith, in close proximity to others that will bring the dream of God into the nightmare world that we live, where they would experience a world of peace and kindness and grace and love, a world without racism or greed, a world where people's needs are met and filled, a world of healed relationships and good done to others. A world where God's dream comes true for you and for me and for the world around us and for this church and this place. I believe that's possible. I believe that that's the desire that God has for this place. That we would have to find a new place to meet because we ran out of room. That our logistics king, who he just announced that he's the logistics guy, will have to figure out a way to fit more chairs in this space. I believe that that is God's plan for us. But it's going to require us to be sneezing on some people. Sneezing our faith. To be close enough that we infect them that we transform them, that we transform the world around us. That's the kind of faith, that's the kind of living that God expects us to bring into our world. Will you stand with me for closing prayer? So God, I thank you for the men and women in this space. I thank you, God, for this place that we get to worship in. I thank you, God, for the worship that we've had. I thank you, God, for the life that you've given to us. And God, I pray that we would be men and women of faith, that we would influence the world around us. God, that we would send out tentacles into the spaces where we meet and play and work 
God, that we would transform the world around us. A world, God, that is broken, desperate to experience health and love and peace and joy. And God, while the world may be running away from the tragedy, I pray, God, that we would move in, get close, and that we would deliver your love and your peace and your grace into a world that so needs it. So God, I thank you for this. I pray, God, that we would be challenged, that we would be inspired, and that we would be committed to furthering your kingdom here on planet Earth. And we thank you for these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. And now as you go, I pray that you would go knowing that there's a God that loves you with his whole heart, that he loves you enough that he'd rather die than live without you. That he loves you enough that he would choose to leave his throne in heaven so that he could reign in our hearts and our lives forever. And that as you leave here, you are the hands and feet of Jesus because there's a world right outside those doors that is desperate to know about the great love that God has for us. Amen. Have a great day.